Good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm um, sitting at my desk looking out my window watching what appears to be sleet coming down outside. Oh. Winter is upon us. It is. Uh, I can tell it's upon us because I just booked a, a ski trip, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I would say it is firmly upon us. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to do a bunch of skiing this season as like a COVID safe kind of activity. I and some other people have uh, gotten icon passes, which are like, kind of like gets you access to a bunch of mountains in the area. And uh, we just booked a house for, for three weeks, actually, up in Vermont. Oh, nice. Wow. Is there already um, snow up there? Like, is this trip happening soon? No, no, this is for February. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, yeah, not not, sure. not that there won't be trips before then, but this will be the big one. But I think this is going to probably be my skiingest season ever. Yeah, which I'm excited good. about. I've started doing some some prehab exercises so as not to destroy myself. <laughs> okay, that's good. Can't go too hard, too fast, man. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, I'm getting older every year, but also like we've invested a lot of like in being able to ski a bunch this season, so it'd be extra unfortunate to get injured early on. Yes, it would. Yep. Yeah. So trying to bulletproof these knees. Yeah, I feel like that's what that's what this season calls for, especially with COVID happening, like being extra proactive about planning, <laughs> planning deliberately these kind of activities and stuff, because otherwise it'd be hard to stay sane. Totally. Yep. So I got an email this morning from someone saying like, oh, we like the app, but we just really wish it had webcam support. <laughs> it's like, but it but it does. It do. <laughs> it do. It yeah. do. UX design, man, is um, continues to mystify. I mean, it's the more of it I do, the more I appreciate how much of a dark art it is to like get things put in the right way so that they're discoverable and so that people don't have to ask support about it. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. And I don't want to add one of those like annoying tool tippy kind of onboarding things. I think those are horrible. So the way I'm starting to think about this is like kind of like defense in depth, the way that people you're supposed to think about security. Where it's like you don't do one thing for security, you do a whole bunch of things, and then you know hopefully the combination works. And so, you know, like onboarding emails, maybe a little bit of like guided onboarding in the app that's not annoying, good docs, demo videos, personal touch. Let's just do all the things I think because it seems like that's kind of what's required. Yeah, there's there's rarely like a one size fits all solution for this kind of stuff. I had a friend and user of Savvy Cal reach out and like send a little Loom video like, hey, and part of his video is like um, super good insights. But then one one of the notes he brought up was like, I stumbled upon this feature and it would be cool if like you called it out somewhere because I would have totally used it sooner. And like right there at the bottom of the screen of the Loom video was like a little helper text saying, highlight arrange to do this and that. <laughs> so <laughs> I was cracking up. It's like not his fault because just as a user, he didn't notice that. And so that's that's my bad. I feel like I actually even want to remove that text because I had before it was slightly more prominent. And I got some complaints that like, this is like annoying. It's in my face all the time. The naive approach is just to like make everything present on the screen all the time so that everyone always sees it. But really, like that's the kind of thing where like once you learn it, you don't need to see something prominent about it. Like once you know it. So then it's a, it's about like getting the knowledge into someone's head at the right time. And then you don't continue to put it in front of them. Now they just know how to use that part of the tool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we are adding something like that. Um, so like we have like these keyboard modes where like you can have remote control keyboard turned on or turned off and it defaults to off. And then some people would be like, how do I type on the remote machine? 
because they just sort of miss the toolbar that has this in it. And so now we're adding like a, hey, we've noticed that the tuple is focused and you're typing, but you have the keyboard off. And so like the first time or two you do it, we give you a little pop-up, which is like your keyboard is disabled. Here's where you enable it. And then after that, we won't pop it up again, assuming you kind of know that this is the, the way. But we, we are, I think we are going to do like kind of that system beep, just like a tunk, like, like no kind of feel. Uh, so we're, we're trying to like, like first educate kind of a lot and then just kind of give these like slighter corrections because you probably just kind of made a mistake as opposed to don't know how it works anymore. Interface blindness is real. When I was doing briefs with Chris, that, that little app we did, we onboarded manually the first 50 customers. And so I'd like have them share their screen and then watch them sign up. And I, that's when I learned like people will not read anything you put on there. They will maybe look at the H1, they'll skim it. And they will often kind of glance at the text on a button before they click it. Everything else gets ignored. Yep. <laughs> when I was doing demos, like people dart around a lot and they, they click on things faster than you want them to. So I'm like, okay, now we're here and you're going to want to click this. And they're like already their mouse on the other side and they're already clicking a menu item. Oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? And that's just naturally what happens. I think. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, I think sometimes like we'll be talking about a possible thing and it's like, oh, well, like here's this possibly confusing situation. Oh, we could pop up a warning that says that. And I'm like, in my head, I think they will close that warning as fast as they can. <laughs> it's just like this annoying thing is in my way. How do I how do I close this as quickly as possible? Yep. People don't want to read your copy. They don't want to read your interface. Like they want to kind of guess and go by feel. And you just kind of have to accept that and, and design for it. Yeah. I always kind of marvel at apps that are that have a, a high degree of like feature density in them i was like editing some some screenshots of the app and trying to stylize them in a way for the marketing site so they didn't just look like screenshots of the app and so i was like in i haven't used photoshop in a really long time and i have pixelmator now on my computer which is a really nice elegant mac os-esque you know stripped down version of photoshop basically but like even for as well designed as that app is like I was just so frustrated because I'm just clicking around different menus trying to find stuff and there's like the app is not helping me at all in in like trying to find stuff it's just like there's icons everywhere there's very little text and then sometimes you cl double click the menu and then it'll like show you the text next to the icon and like I just couldn't reason about anything and I'm like I know this is a this is a really well-designed app. It wins all kinds of awards. People love it. But I just don't want to go read the manual. <laughs> you know, I just want to I just want to be able to get in there and kind of figure out how to do stuff. Yeah, it's like no small task for them to try to figure out how to like make their product intuitive when there's just so many little dials and buttons and stuff. Yeah. I think it, it matters what kind of app you're building. Like Tuple is definitely intended as a pro kind of app. I want it to be discoverable. I would love to not get emails asking us for features that we have. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> That'd be great. I want to optimize for the giant cohort of users that are have been using it for a long time and want it to be, you know, out of the way and powerful and, and that sort of thing. So it's it's a balancing act. Striking the balance somewhere between, yeah, very a very easy to get started with tool and then it's like something like Vim, right? Where it's like <laughs> nearly impossible. It's not intuitive at all, but once you know it, it's really powerful, right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and Vim has made those. I mean, it's a, it's a set of trade offs, right? Like it's it's not you know discoverable or guessable. Yeah, it's not intuitive, but they've made those choices because once you know them, it's it's so useful. So, if it weren't powerful and not discoverable, that would be bad. But uh, so, I guess one way I've seen tools do this, it's become a common pattern now, is like something like what Superhuman did with like their command 
palette thing where you can just always like bring up the freeform text thing and then type in whatever feature you think you may want to initiate. And then like it shows it to you in a list and you just press enter. Like that seems like a really elegant way to like offer a ton of power, but then also like freeform search to kind of locate the feature you're looking for. Have you thought about like yes. doing something like uh, that in Tuple? We, we have thought of that. I kind of do like that idea. We don't have that many features, so it's kind of... But yes, I do like that for the discoverability. Like in apps that have that, I'm just kind of like, oh, can I? Like I'll just start typing words and it's like you're kind of like searching the command space by by string. And that, that's actually kind of a nice way to figure stuff out. So we have talked about that. That might be a good, a good thing. It's like the lazy approach. If you do, haven't learned all the keyboard shortcuts yet, I use this in linear. I've been using linear because you guys were using it for tuple tasks and I've been using it for Zavical tasks, really liking it. And it has that thing. And like a lot of the shortcuts for doing little things to issues, I just haven't learned yet just out of laziness, but I just use the command palette and it's almost as fast. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a good option. We should maybe think about that. Yeah. The primitives in tuple are fairly limited, I think. I thought about kind of one of those like percent based onboarding status indicators where it's like kind of like you have like an onboarding checklist and like you're 50% of the way through because you haven't yet added a webcam and you haven't yet like swapped screen share or something like there's something about those that I think people find compelling in a way that like those little pop-up based onboarding tutorials are not where it's like oh like I want to finish this thing get this to 100% and have it go away is like more a little more interesting and kind of satisfying too uh, as opposed to like get out of my way click click go away yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yep so uh, also kind of along the lines of user education and whatnot we are pretty close to spun up on offering people pairing coaching calls so i think the first invites are going to go out probably tomorrow which is uh, an interesting experiment we'll see how it goes who are you inviting are you kind of sending out a broad list have you curated the list of people that you're sending this to uh, the way I'm leaning right now is people that signed up within the last couple of days, but haven't done a call yet. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll see if that's ends up being the best cohort or the best group, but that feels right for a first, first pass to me, but more on that soon. I'm also working on a talk, giving a talk about pairing next week. Uh, I'm recording it next week and it's being presented a, a couple weeks later, uh, for touring fest. Doing a lot of marketing activities in the last handful of weeks. I realized the other day. My coach sort of pointed this out as well. Marketing doesn't really feel like that much work to me. Something about it, like recording this podcast just kind of feels fun. Being a guest on a podcast feels kind of fun. I recorded that pairing video with Farhan from uh, Shopify. And that was just fun. Like all this stuff just like is like a good time to me. I think that means I should, this should be kind of like one of my main activities. is because like it's good for the company. It's not the most common skill set. Like not not everyone is just like can, can do marketing well. And to me, it doesn't it doesn't even register as like work. It's just kind of like oh no, I have I was I wasn't doing any work. I was just being a guest on a podcast and recording art of product. And it's like a, so that's fun. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about building product stuff. I mean, it doesn't feel like it doesn't really feel like work. Like marketing stuff too is is fun, but it still doesn't uh, for me. It doesn't it doesn't quite trigger the same happiness as. Um, that's cranking out a nice feature. <laughs> That's probably where my area of focus should be, you know? Yeah, I would say this is not quite as fun as like development, but like pushing to production is more fun than marketing, but it's sort of got the same. It's got the same gist. Yeah. It's close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I'm going to keep doing marketing. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, we have a couple of good improvements coming out to the app, which I'm excited about. One is we're some webcam improvements or so bumping up the quality a bit. 
we sort of started with like super high quality webcam and it was it was actually eating a lot it was using quite a bit of bandwidth we just we, we toned it way down i think we kind of went too far so now we're kind of coming back up a bit but we're also adding a little bit of a, a little bit of sparkle to it i think where we sort of dynamically set the resolution based on what size you have the webcam window so if it's really small it doesn't make sense to send you a ton of pixels so we downgrade it and if it's really big we'll send you a bunch and yeah, we're going to let people opt into kind of using a lot of bandwidth if you want. Like if you're using it as a, if you're, if you're not doing a screen sharing, you're just doing a video call and you want really crisp, you can, you can get that. Yeah. Is that something you guys measure? Like how many, what percentage of calls use webcam? We do have that. Um, I haven't looked at it in a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see. Yeah. I could see it both ways. I guess I don't really have an intuitive sense of what people typically do. I mean, Yeah. It's useful to be able to see your pair's face. Like you can get stuff from body language and posture and that kind of thing. But also like the screen is the the star. When I have paired with the with webcam on, I usually keep it really small, kind of up in the corner. And I'm just kind of using it to, to lightly keep tabs on the person. Small cues here and there, but for the most part, focused on the screen. Yep. And we also have some uh, audio stuff coming down the pipeline. We have this, um, you may have heard this <laughs> in, in various apps, but like, you can occasionally get this like chipmunk voice effect in Tuple. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's been a it's been a fairly long-standing bug. But we've we we're in there and it's it's figured out, and uh, we're kind of overhauling the guts of the audio handling code, which were some of the first things we had to write to like get the app working. And so we had like the least amount of information of how this is supposed to work and what the heck is going on, uh, and we're we're paying down that that audio debt as well. Digging that moat deeper because um, I imagine there's a lot of nuanced little like edge cases and race conditions to handle. Like right before we started this recording, I just like touched my microphone cable and like I could hear a little little popping <laughs> coming from somewhere in the system. And like the my laptop was no longer recognizing the microphone. And then I just like tapped it a little bit, heard popping again, and then it was like back onto that audio source. So I can only imagine like what signals are firing in the code, like rapidly switching between sources and yada, yada. Yeah. And different yeah. sources have different like uh, rates that they send data at. Like this thing sends it 80 Hertz and this thing is this. And like, so there's, there's different like attributes of these sources that you have to handle. Some people have weird setups like audio interfaces um say like fancy stuff you plug a bunch of mics into or like preamps or things like this and it's so like it's there could be some pretty a lot of complexity on the other end and i think also like this is the some of the oldest code in mac os as well that's still around so it's like you're kind of interacting with these like really old apis that are kind of from the stone age and so they have their own kind of weird behavior and 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 quirks lots of operating system legacy that as a as a in user space you're never really too aware of that but when you start peeking behind the curtain, building, like building into the native APIs, you start to see all that. I remember that from Windows development back, back in the day, there's a ton of like DOS stuff still hanging around in like, you know, Windows XP and stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it is kind of funny. It's like, we're like two and a half years in. And it's like, oh, like what advanced feature are you working on now? It's like, oh, making audio work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like reliably, like, I mean, it worked before, but now, now it'll work better. It's just like, there's 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 a lot of low level stuff and like edge casey things in, in this kind of application. Yep, yep. But that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going on with you? It's been a pretty um, productive week so far. I um, shipped a feature that I kind of announced publicly, and it got 
a lot of positive reception. So I'm really excited about it because it's it's a relatively small feature, but it is a differentiator. One of the things that has surfaced early on in customer conversations, and it was like on my list of of things that a scheduling app should do when I like was doing my own brainstorming, is basically like kind of fine-grained control over limiting how many events of a specific kind you allow within a certain range of time. I think Calendly has like limiting max per day. They just have per day only. But my vision has been like, I think we should give even more flexibility that like per week would be helpful too, per month perhaps, and being able to stack multiples on each other. Like maybe you say like, I want to do up to, you know, three per day, but only a max of five per week. So like if you end up on three on one day, two on the next day, then it then it blocks the rest of the week off. That has been a honestly a big want of my own when I've done like, okay, I'm going to solicit a round of customer, you know, customer development calls and I'm going to send this out. But if I'm not careful, like I will just end up doing nothing but this for the next two weeks. Yeah, I tweeted about this, just a little teaser image and like a bunch of people uh, were very excited, got responses like sold. I've been waiting for a for a compelling enough reason to like switch over and this is it. And that just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, that's great. Yeah. And it makes me really want to um, kind of keep pushing harder in the differentiation direction. So I think I'm I'm shifting kind of my roadmap planning just a little bit because I kind of have kind of juggling a few things I consider high priority, you know, like beefing up integrations, getting a Zapier integration first built, adding some more calendar integrations that those just it's just a steady stream of people wanting additional um, calendar integrations. And then kind of in this other bucket are just things that really set me apart from kind of the rest and, and kind of help that story along a little bit on like, if we're distilling this down into two sentences, then I want to be able to mention a couple things that are really compelling that only you can find with Savvy Cal. So optimizing for differentiation is kind of, it's it's moving up in priority um, in my head yeah. and on the roadmap. I think that's wise. Yeah. Yeah. So is that feature live, that limiting? I was able to ship yesterday the limiting by day, and then I'm going to today I'm going to ship limiting by week. So I wanted to get both of them shipped, but then I was like, I I finished the day one, and I have to write the logic that does the week, and I might as well just do an incremental deploy here. So so by day is live. Yep. And then nice. That's great. Soon. Yeah. How are you checking the availability? Like, how, what's your calculation for like show me which days are are there? That's another thing that could get hairy. It basically comes down to first using your what you configured for your recurring availability. So you can configure, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday from nine to five. OK, so we start with that. And then I query for your um, calendar, whatever calendars you have marked as checking for conflicts, query those in and, you know, kind of add the buffer on on either end of those events and then subtract that. So basically loop over, loop over the intervals from your availability, subtract that. And then do like, and now with this, with this additional logic, I will, if you have like max of three per day, then I'll loop over the days and check and see if you have, you know, at least three events on that day, then block off that entirety. So it's basically like start with the base and then subtract from it Mm -hmm. from all these different sources. Yeah. Oh, and also I wanted to ask you how expansion has been going. Like we just uh, added a user to the tuple team. uh, You did. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so far this month, expansion is now outpacing new signups, which admittedly new signups are lower than I want them to be. We need to work on driving more traffic. But yeah, no, it's been it's been going good. Um, I'm very pleased. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. So you said you're working on Zapier integration. 
because this, this is actually something that we just bumped into is like after a coaching call, we would like to like send a survey. I assume this is a kind of that, that's like a Zapier type task. Probably. I, I mean, I want to I want that kind of functionality to honestly live in house, like part of one of the one of the key areas is like um, kind of more intelligent automations before and after and around events. So I want to, I want that to be in house. But yeah, Zapier would be Zapier would be one of those things like build the Zapier integration first. And if you're seeing a lot of people do an you know an email right after or something, then then like use Zapier as a proving ground to figure out what native automations to bake into the app is kind of how I how I see Zapier. So. Gotcha. You would see yourself as being as like having like a post meeting yep. email sending, not like yep. a have a survey thing, but like just give me an email template or yeah. an email like a thing I could fill out. Right. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's the thing we want. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Customer development live on the air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was onboarding this person and I was like, oh, we should probably send a survey after. Uh, I don't think he has that yet, but I think it's coming. So, you know, we'll figure it out once. Let's just do it manually for now and it'll eventually it'll show up. <laughs> cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be nice to have. Yeah. Another front I'm pretty excited about. So I actually haven't confirmed with him that we're cool, like naming names publicly yet, but so I'll, I'll probably be able to uh, talk about this next week. But I have someone from our community who is going to be starting as my kind of part-time head of marketing beginning of November. So super stoked. He's kind of in this in-between phase himself where he was has been working for companies but wants to have some of his own like businesses going but not quite, you know, fully supporting him yet. So so it's kind of like he's entrepreneurial, has experience in this area, um, someone I've been kind of following for a while and feel like I know pretty well. Um, just love our our little community that hangs out on Twitter and we get to see each other's work all the time. It's just it's so nice. Nice. So you've been able to kind of like pre-vet this person. Yep, totally. Yeah. I felt like I already pretty much knew knew what their chops were before even starting the conversation. So cool. What kind of uh, time commitment? So we're looking at, I think it's 10 to 15 hours a week is kind of what we're aiming for right now. And yeah, kind of looking at, I've already started planning out what what kind of the initial projects look like. I think, um, you know, high up on the list is doing, running through some positioning exercises, a, a standard like April Dunford playbook to make sure that that things are things are good on that front. And then running some little experiments to start vetting kind of repeatable traction channels. And hopefully, you know, his goal is to like, do as much of this stuff without involving me as possible. Some some things I will, you know, end up collaborating on if it's like making changes to the website or adding pages or designing something. Yeah, for the most part, it's like you you got this, do your thing, and uh, and then we'll periodically sync up and see what you're learning. And um, yeah, I'm just so I'm so excited to have this potentially like a big chunk of this off my plate and be able to push this forward. Totally, that's awesome. I'm I'm psyched for you too. I'm glad to yeah. see you making a move like that. And yeah, that's, that's totally that's quite savvy of you <laughs> well thank you yes <laughs> yeah i mean i think I, I feel like especially like because you are a solo founder and you raised money it's like you're it's like that's there you go like that's, that's like the kind of the obvious next step right yes yeah totally yeah, like if yeah. you were three or four people it's like well that we probably shouldn't hire like outsource marketing we have we have the hours for it but because you you have limited time and you're so good and can be focused on the product and dev and design and all that stuff. 
bringing in someone who's great at the marketing because your time is limited and you have this funding. It just, that feels like very, very uh, reasonable to me. Yeah. Yep. And I think, yeah, all things considered, like it's not, it's not even super risky because I do have some funding in the bank. It's, it's funny because I've, I've remarked this before, how like, how, just how like risk averse I really am, I think as a, just naturally as a person. And so this is, this is always like a pushing experience of like, yeah, so this will accelerate the burn rate of the company a little bit, but like, definitely not like I'm going to, you know, run out of money next month or something like I ha- I can ride this way for a while. And, you know, six months from now, it's maybe like a kind of evaluate, like see where revenue's at, see where cash balance is at and make make a decision on what I need to do at that time. But it's like, in the meantime, it's time to start deploying some of this money, I think, and, and not being too tentative, like this is what's going to help really accelerate the business is is investing in this area. So cool. Yeah. I think that yeah, it's great. I find myself wondering if like if we're maybe too tentative with around hiring. Like I feel like our, our our kind of mental model now is kind of around like hire when it hurts, which you know is fine, but also it's like well we're not thinking like hire when you could productively have another person join the team and have them pay for themselves and and things like that. I guess we are doing some of this with this pairing coaching is 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 an example of kind of an opportunistic like hiring in advance of a thing. So I guess we're not doing none of it, given that there is profit margin to be had. Like, is there another person that we could add to the team that would really accelerate it and, and pay back? Yeah, yeah, because you're in the it's somewhat unique position. A lot of SaaS companies end up kind of constantly bumping up against the line of profitability. So it's like, we're going to hire this position, but it's going to cause us to go into <laughs> into the negative for a little bit. And so the hiring itself is a little bit painful, but it's solving a pain that's bad enough that it warrants it. And you guys are in a position where it's like, well, fortunately, things have been things have been good. You're on it. You're riding a, a nice wave. So then it's like, yeah, do you do you double down and, and press even deeper, even though it's not necessarily painful, but it's like there's an opportunity to be seized. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's an interesting question. This feels like one of those, like, you know, not exactly a right or wrong answer, but like kind of what, what do we want to do? What kind of company do we want to build? What do we value? How do we want? How do we, yeah. Like, what do we want? This is a thing my, my coach kind of keeps like harping on. It's just like, yeah, there's a lot of possible options here, but like the, like you have to know what you, where you want to go. Otherwise you're, you're flailing and you're picking blindly. And like, it's not, it's not about making the right decision in isolation. It's about making the right decision, knowing where you want to get to. Right. Yeah. So we're having kind of a MBA speak, like a North Star to to kind of point to, to, to compare your decision, your high level decision making against um, is pretty important, yeah. I guess. Or like a, a vision, like if, if everything went great and like everything's perfect, what does Tuple look like in three years? Like, a, like build towards that or like ha- have a, having a sense of that helps you know what to build towards. Um, I, I keep like kind of doing the exercise of sitting down and, and like answering those questions for myself but not quite you know really taking it all the way and like really thinking about it and uh, i think it would be i think that's a useful thing i gotta I got get done yeah sounds like a, a good retreat type activity or something totally yeah, yeah. i think i need like quiet mm-hmm. like solitude and, and i like and uh, just like a new new environment to like really sit down and just like okay yep. it's just me in this journal yep totally yeah I was listening to uh, Out of Beta. Matt was interviewing Chris Savage. Uh, yeah, founder, I caught that episode. It was, it was very good. Which yeah. is nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of struck by how much long-term planning they do. They have a multi-year plan 
that they review quarterly and kind of update and like check how they're doing in progress towards the plan. And yeah, and then they seem to be very systematic about, all right, we're, we're, we want to have this much profit. We're going to reinvest this much up to, up to that amount. And I guess this makes sense about how systematic you kind of need to be when you're 130 people. Like I was, I was like, wow, they're like really like hammering, like, like coming down to these OKRs and like talking quarterly and updating the multi-year plan. And I was like, yeah, I guess that you have to requires more planning with that many people for sure. But also, I, I, I do think even for us, uh, even for smaller companies, that sort of, are you at least thinking about what two years from now could look like and kind of figuring out what you would want to do today to get to there? Right. Yeah. I think Tuple could easily end up being a hundred person company in, you know, not that long. And that's is that... ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't like, that does not feel true to me. I, I, really? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, I, th- I don't think you're wrong. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 that's, that can't be correct. I remember walking into lead pages right after we were acquired, looking around the room and like, what are all of these people doing? Because I mean, it's like lead pages is like a just a SaaS app, you know, ultimately, it's putting data in and taking data out of a database and showing it on on the internet. And I'm like, what are all of these people doing? And I mean, everyone was serving a, a role in some capacity and contributing to the business. But I was just yeah, it, it did blow my mind at first. And it was like 130 people in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that feels crazy. Yeah. But you might you might be right. That's that's nuts, though. Then again, like, you know, Basecamp is an example of like very profitable, very large top line revenue. And they're like at 50 people now. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you can you can choose how you want to go about it. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's harder to stay small once things are really growing. You know, it's like easy to find yourself, you know, expanding quickly. So did we talk about their designer position, their product designer opening that they posted? I don't think so. No. So. I think this is partly how you stay small. Is <laughs> like their thing is like we're looking for a product designer at Basecamp. A product designer talks to users, designs the features, and then implements them in HTML and CSS, working with the developers. In most companies, that's three people. In Basecamp, it's one. I loved that. I was like, I just like wanted to copy and paste that and be like, that's what we want. We want the same thing. And it's like, yes, that kind of person is hard to find. It's not going to be as easy to hire someone like that. But they do exist, and holy crap, if you can get all that in one person, that's amazing. So like, yeah. why not optimize for that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like in our industry, it is pretty common for people to be not hyper-specialized, to be somewhat generalists, you know, the, the full-stack whatevers of the world. And that is interesting to think about, like, helping someone continue to grow and advance uh, in your company and not be hyper-specialized, because it does kind of pigeonhole you a bit if you're just like, this is the only thing I know how to do, and I don't... Oh, I design, but I don't touch HTML. And I, you know, I, yeah, man, I, I yeah. think that's crazy. Yeah. I think that's going away. I think if you are a designer and you can't write HTML and CSS, you are uh, deprecated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like that so. just, it's to me, it's like you are missing a fundamental skill and a skill that's not even that hard. It's not like it's impossible to go from being a designer to someone that could also write HTML and CSS. I mean, front-end development is complex. It's not easy, but it is very feasible. And there's plenty of educational you know, resources out there. I kind of feel like that is, the, that is the new table stakes. And I'm shocked when there's designers that are like, I'm a product designer, and I, my, my deliverables are sketch files. And it's like, yeah, no. But there are people that can like, just like actually do it too. So like, how are you going to compete with these people in the long term? Yeah, right. Now, there's never been more resources to 
learn this stuff and tools like Tailwind that like just, I mean, change the game, I think, on being able to rapidly produce things in the final medium. So, yeah. <laughs> I think this is a somewhat unpopular opinion. I've, I've floated this to some people before. I also just think it's, I think it's the, that's the future. I would be afraid to be a designer and not be able to like implement my own designs. I'd be worried about that. And like, I'm, I'm talking to a designer right now and he's helping us with some work. And like this, like a high profile works with big brands, kind of fancy high end designer. And he was like, yeah. And then when I'm done, I'll hand you the sketch files. And I was like, okay. I, and then I guess I'll go hire a second person to actually do what we need. That's not great, but we'll make it work, I suppose. But it's like, if he was just like, oh yeah, I'm 30% more expensive, but I also just do that part. I'd be like, great. No problem. Don't care. Uh, I don't know, man. We need more Derek Reimers is what I'm saying. <laughs> Especially startups. The more of a kind of a generalist you can be, I think it is kind of a key skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also just like you, you eliminate this like handoff because like once you get to HTML and CSS, the design is going to have to change, right? Like it's never going to survive contact with the, the DOM. Yeah. Um, so it's like <laughs> right. if yeah. now you've created this like back and forth that has to happen between like the person actually implementing and, and the original designer and and then also like don't you want to be able to make your own things? It's like I'm an expert at making really nice pictures of things. It's like, oh well you could just like keep going a little farther and then actually make things. Like doesn't that isn't that cooler? Doesn't that more satisfying? Right, right. Well yeah, and, and then especially for designing for the web, like I mean controlling the experience of like what does it look like at each of the breakpoints and like you know when, when you scale the window down to 432 pixels and everything snaps into position is this thing now too large what kind of barriers you need to put on that and i feel like all of that is really within the purview of the designer and not just an engineer who doesn't have any design sense whatsoever just making a call on that you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so Feel free to at me on this one. I, I changed my mind. <laughs> I yep. will fight on this one. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Um, I think uh, I think that's good for today. Cool. All right. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.